Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jimbo. Uh, it's always an honor to be able to, uh, to preach here um, and to be able to just share from God's Word. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and stand up, and we're going to read uh, this first passage of Scripture together. Or I'll read it, but we'll just stand in honor of God's Word. This is from Hebrews 1. Um, it is verses 1 through 3. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand um, of the majesty on high. All right, you can go ahead and sit down. So today, um, we're going to be looking at the story of the Exodus, the story of um, Exodus means going out. So this is the um, freedom and departure of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Um, but I wanted to look at this verse first, not because it has a lot to do really with the Passover or Exodus, but because this is really, I think, a verse that sums up the whole series we've been going through. So if you remember, we've been looking at these stories in the Old Testament where we see God's redemption in action, and where we see God actually pointing toward the ultimate story of redemption in Jesus Christ. Um, and I, I love this verse because it says, look, long ago, God spoke in these different ways. He spoke through prophets. He spoke through, um, through these events that happened. Uh, you don't have to forgive me with this mic. I think last time I had like a big beard, and I was able to like shove the mic in my beard, and I know Jimbo does that. <laughs> this is, all right. Um, so, anyway, so God spoke in these ways long ago, but now he's, he's spoken through Christ. Like Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. Um, and I, I, love this, I love this idea, like, but now, because we know, um, like Jimbo mentioned, this is my first Father's Day. And I used to think that my niece was the cutest kid ever. But now I have a son, and he has these cheeks that you just want to grab onto and, and jiggle around and shake because he's just so cute. Um, so this idea, this but now, there is something that has come along and has surpassed the old way of thinking. All right. That's my cross to bear. It's all right. Um, so yeah, so this idea, like, but like Jesus gets the final say in who we say that God is. All right? And all the stories in the Old Testament that we've been looking at, they're, they're good and they have value in and of themselves, but ultimately they're, they're pointing towards something else. They're all heading somewhere. They're heading to who Jesus is. Um, and and uh, this idea of God revealing himself is particularly important in this, um, this story of the Exodus. Because um, we'll see in the main idea. In Exodus, God reveals himself as personal, powerful, and purposeful. Right, the Exodus is the place where God reveals who he is for the first time, like in really explicit ways. So b- before this, God appears to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, but this is the time when Jesus, or when, uh, when God comes to his people and in very explicit ways, like giving him his name and these other ways that we're going to see, this is really where God reveals who he is to his people. And we see that in the way that God talks about himself in the Old Testament. Cause, uh, cause he, he, he calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But from here on out, he's also going to now call himself, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. Like this is the way that God refers to himself. It's used 60 or 70 times in the Old Testament. That if you want to know who God is, you look in the Exodus. You look at this story because he calls himself, hey, I'm the one who, God, who called you out of Egypt, who brought you out of Egypt. Um, and really in that phrase, we're gonna, that's where 
Um, like everything we're going to talk about today is packed in that phrase, that God is personal, powerful, and purposeful. So let's look at um, how God is personal in the Exodus. Um, so let's look at Exodus 3, verses 2 through 17. So these are uh, some verses that Jimbo looked at last week. We're going to overlap a little bit. Um, and if you'll remember, this is the story of, of the burning bush. God appears to Moses and he speaks to him uh, and he calls him uh, to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, to go to Pharaoh uh, and demand that Pharaoh let his people go. So if you remember at this point, Moses is a fugitive. So he has killed uh, a slave master of the Egyptians, and he runs off in the wilderness and really starts this new life. He finds a wife, he moves in and starts working for his father-in-law. But now God has set the stage, and God is about to act. So he appears to Moses. And he says this. Let's read verse uh, 2 through 6. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of the fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals, or take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So if we're talking about how God is personal, um, then we need to, let's look at the way that God refers to himself here. God can refer to himself in a number of ways. God could say, I am the creator of the universe, right? He could say, he could say these characteristics he, he has. He could say, I'm all-powerful. I am all-knowing. But instead, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God defines himself by his relationships. God, uh, just in and of himself, is a relational God. He is, he is one who desires relationships with his people, even at the point where that is the way that he talks about himself. Um, so I think just what this means for us is that God is not out of our reach, that God is not reluctantly hearing these prayers um, thrown up by people, right? God is not sitting and annoyed at all how he has to do during the day. God wants a relationship with you. God wants a relationship. He wants to hear um, what, you have, uh, what you have going on. And you don't have to, to face east to do that. You don't have to say any magical words. And you don't have to be good enough. Like the people that he associates himself with here Abraham, who gave his wife away to another man. Isaac, who did the same thing. Jacob, whose name means deceiver and who is deceptive. Uh, and Moses, who, who's a murderer. These are people who are not, um, like, maybe if they came into our church, we'd be like, maybe you need to leave, sir. And, but these are the people that God decides to use. All right, God, you don't have to be good enough, maybe by, by standards that we think about, um, and, and just the way that we do that, the way we commune with God, of course, is prayer. So I just want to say a quick word on prayer uh, that I heard recently that was really helpful for me um, by one of my former pastors. He talked about uh, the way that Jesus prayed. And he said Jesus prayed in public very differently than he did in private. So we, there are times in Scripture where Jesus goes off and he prays all night. Or there are times when he, uh, when he prays by himself in private before, before he goes on the cross. And those are long prayers. Right, he prays all night at times, or he prays this high priestly prayer that he prays in John 17 before he goes off uh, to the cross is like a whole chapter long. It's really long, but when God or when Jesus prays in public, it's really short. Like you think of like the Lord's Prayer, 
um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Like, we have it memorized. It's so short. We, we, we used to say it before my football games, um, which, was, which was strange. Because then in the locker room, we wouldn't talk about Jesus type of things. Um, but his, in, in public, Jesus just had these short, simple prayers. He was not trying to impress anybody, right? And in private, those are the times when he really got intimate and he was personally just with his father, just enjoying um, the father's company. And I know, I just know that some people have issues praying in public. And I can just encourage you that when Jesus prayed in public, he just said, God, I want your kingdom to come. God, I want, could you provide for me? Just simple, short prayers. Um, But the times that we get to intimately be involved with this personal God are those times in private prayer. Um, But it's always, it's always genuine, right? So uh, there is a personal God who wants a relationship with you. And we have access to him 24 hours a day in prayer, yet we don't tap into it. Um, so let's keep going in this, uh, in this passage in Exodus. Um, so verse 7 through 12. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, for I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression for which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I will go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have, uh, that, that I have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. So God basically comes to him and says, look, I've seen the oppression that you're going through. I've seen the struggles that you have, and now I'm going to act. All right? Uh, and I'm going to be with you as, you as you bring the people out. So we don't serve a God who's hands off. Well, we're going to kind of move to the next part, but... We don't serve a God who's hands-off, right? We, we serve a God who's a, who's a micromanager, and that's a really good thing. Like a God who is with us in, in our oppression, with us in any struggles that we're going through. Um, that's the promise he gives Moses, and that's the promise that we receive in the New Testament, of course, that God's presence is with us. But, but the point of, uh, of God being a personal God, I really want to talk about in this next uh, part, of the, uh, part of the story here. Um, let's look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them that the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So at first I'm thinking, This is a pretty, this is a pretty weird question um, that Moses asked. It's pretty specific. Like Maybe the people won't ask what God's name is. Um, I don't really understand what's happened here. But uh, if we think about just the story that we've looked at so far, the stories we've seen in Genesis so far, names mean a lot more in these days. Names don't just capture who you are, but really what you are. So if we look at like Abraham, Abraham means like great father. So, and he was the father of the people of Israel. Um, and Jacob means deceiver, and he was uh, a deceiver, right? So the, these names uh, in these times really meant a lot more. So when, when the people would ask, you know, who is this God that sends, that sends you? It's not just, like, what's his name, because we want to talk to him by name, but it's, it's more than that. It's, who is this God? What is he like? What's he about? Um, and this is God's reply. 
God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to me, or sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So God says, I am. I am has sent me to you. This is God's name. This is the name Yahweh. And anytime we see, uh, anytime we see all caps, like the word Lord in all caps, like in verse 15, Cheryl, you pull that up. So like when we see, um, I am the, wait, that font's weird. Okay, in your Bible, it'll be in all caps. Um, L-O-R-D, all caps. That is not just saying Lord as in my Lord, because you call it like King's Lord too, right? Um, but this is the divine name. This is I am. This is Yahweh, a personal, the personal name of God. And this is significant because there's a story just like this in the book of Judges uh, with, the book of, uh, uh, with the story of Samson. So Samson's father is speaking to an angel. And the angel is telling him that you're going to have a son named Samson. He's telling him about what Samson's going to be like. And as the angel's leaving, Samson's father says, hey, tell me your name. And the angel says, who do you think you are? The angel's reply is, why do you ask my name? It's beyond your understanding. The angel just shuts him down and says, you can't, you can't even ask me that question. Um, and this is a, an appropriate response that God could have made. Right, that, that Moses would demand anything from God doesn't make any sense. And I see this, so I'm a sixth grade, sixth and seventh grade English teacher. And there are things like the students tell me sometimes, and I'm just like, who do you think you are? Like, I, th- I had a kid one time, he, uh, he like, I, I, I don't know if he was serious or not, but he, he added, he took, first he took his phone out, which you're not supposed to do. He stood, so he, and this is the middle class, he stood up and he said, hey, I ordered a pizza, it's in the office. I'm going to go get it. And I, first I stood there in shock. And I was like, who do you think you are? Sit down. What are you doing? All right? Like, there's a way that you act with a teacher. And that's not, that's not how you do it. Um, And there's a way that you act with God. And normally it's not you demanding anything from God. Especially, uh, especially Moses, who's a murderer, who ran away, he's in the wilderness. Um, He's not in a position to demand anything from God. But God graciously gives Moses his name. And, and God even reminds Moses of that later in Exodus. In Exodus 6, he says, Hey, remember, long ago I spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, but I didn't tell them my name. Like, I, I specifically have shown myself in an in a intimate way to you. Um, because the God that we serve is personal, and he wants a relationship, but he's also powerful. Like, early, like three verses earlier, Moses falls on his face because he can't look at God. And, and this is the God who extends relationship, who gives, um, who gives Moses his name. I really appreciated at, um, at Love Loud a couple weeks ago, uh, Chuck gave us a devotional from Psalm 139 at the nursing home. And I'm going to butcher this quote because I didn't write it down right after. But he said, uh, the God who keeps the galaxy spinning wants a personal relationship with you. All right? So God, God has made himself knowable, and, but he's also available because he wants a relationship with you. But like I said, this God who's personal is also powerful. Okay, so that, that's our next point, that God is powerful. And we're going to be uh, looking at a few different uh, scriptures here, but specifically we'll look at um, Exodus 9, 13 through 16. Uh, and we'll read this in one second. But uh, So last week, Jimbo, one of the phrases he used was that God is setting the stage. 
right? that God is setting the stage in Moses' life, um, and even that God is setting the stage in our own lives to do something big. And God may be working in your life uh, in a way that he can show his power and show his, his might. And, and that image is perfect for this next part of our story. Because the next part of our story, Moses has been called to, uh, to lead the people out of Egypt. So now Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And we know Pharaoh says no. Right? And, and this is when the ten plagues happen. So this might be the part of the story that we're kind of familiar with where uh, Moses goes and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no, and, and God sends a plague. All right? And there are ten plagues. There's a plague of um, the Nile turning to blood and gnats and flies, and there are all these different plagues. And we're not going to look at all of them today, but we're just going to look at what's being communicated in, in those plagues. Um, and I want us to see the plagues kind of with fresh eyes today. I want us to see it as an exhibition of God's power over evil. So let's look at nine uh, Exodus nine thirteen through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up earlier in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, and on your servants and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I have put out my hand, and, or, or by, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up and showed you my power, or to show you my power, so that my name might be proclaimed in the earth. So he's saying, "Look, uh, Pharaoh, I could have just ended this very easily. You've seen my power. I could have just what he says is he could have sent pestilence, and you wouldn't have had any food, and all of Egypt would have died." But I've raised you up, all right? I've, I've risen Egypt and I've risen Pharaoh to this position of power so that I can show my power over you, so that my name would be proclaimed in all the earth. So when, when Jimbo was talking about God setting the stage, that is what's happened here. That's what's happening in the story of the plagues. There is a showdown between Yahweh, the God of, he, uh, the, God of the Hebrews, and really the evil powers of the earth, right? God is showing his superiority over um, over Egypt, over the gods of Egypt. Because if you remember, um, so God's not just laying, God's just not laying the smack down on Egypt, is what I'm trying to say. God, this isn't just punishment. God says here, I could have punished, I could have killed you if I wanted to. Um, God is showing his power over those political and religious systems of the day. Um, if, you, if you remember, Jimbo mentioned this last week too, is that the Egyptians believed Pharaoh to be a god. They, they believed Pharaoh to be a god. They believed his firstborn son to be a god. And they had a tremendous amount of respect for, for the Nile River and for things of nature. And they probably saw Yahweh as one of many gods, right? Because every, every little group of people had their own little gods back in those days. So the Egyptians, and this is, this is wrong, but the Egyptians probably looked and they saw, hey, God of the Hebrews, you're obviously a lot weaker than Pharaoh because you guys are enslaved to us. So that is, that's the situation that, that we find God in here. And God is, says, no, I'm going to show my power. I'm going to show that I'm the true God. Um, I'm going to show my power over you. All right? Um, so God's power on, is on display. Um, so I mentioned that, that Pharaoh is a God, that uh, Pharaoh's firstborn is a God, that the Nile River even and frogs are seen as like divine. Um, so just... I guess my main point here is, because I'm going to move on a little bit, um, 
that when Pharaoh can't do anything about these plagues, he's revealed, or he's exposed. He's exposed as not being a god. He's exposed as being um, not powerful in the way that Yahweh is. And this is the idea that, that their false belief is exposed, that the Egyptians' false belief is exposed by truth. Like when truth comes along, our, your false beliefs are exposed. Like I think of when, uh, I don't know, this is a few years ago, when Peyton Manning and the Broncos were playing the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl. All right, so you, if you're not a football fan, Peyton Manning, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, their offense was really good. And then you have the Seahawks, who uh, had a great defense. And no one really knew, who's going to win this game? Is it going to be the great offense or the great defense? And I remember saying, hey, Peyton's going to go in there. Peyton's going to throw about 15 touchdowns in one game. He's going to set some records. He's going to dominate. It's not even going to be close. All right? That's, this is my belief. And then what happens is about three minutes into the game, I knew, okay, the Broncos don't stand a chance. This game is over. Well, we were at a Super Bowl party, and no one was watching that game after the end of the first quarter. The game was over. Like, my false belief in Peyton Manning at that time was completely exposed by the truth, by the truth that actually the Seahawks are a way better team. Um, so it's, it's this idea that when, when we encounter truth, our false beliefs are exposed. We do this every Sunday, right? When, when we read God's word, when we hear God's word, hopefully it, it exposes the things in our life that we're believing, that we're telling ourselves or that we, uh, we hold to that are false. And that's what's happening here um, through the plagues. So we're not really going to look at all these plagues because it happens over the course of a few, a few chapters, but that would be a great thing for you to read on your own this week. Um, and it's especially seen in the final plague. Right, so the final plague is that God is going to uh, strike down the firstborn of every household in Egypt. All right? He's going to kill the firstborn child, the firstborn, um, yeah, the firstborn child in every household in Egypt. And the Israelites are instructed uh, to take to sacrifice a lamb and to place the blood around the doorway of their home, and that when God sees this blood, He's going to pass over. Right, and this is this is where we get the celebration of Passover from, which we're going to see later in our uh, uh, just in our study. Um, but this is such a monumentous event. This is the event when Pharaoh says, "Okay, you got it. We're out of here." Um, as the firstborn in every household, um, except for those those Hebrews who follow God. Um, are killed. Um, and then I hate, to, I hate to rush over this, but also in the, in the Red Sea. So as well, once the, once the Egyptians have let the Hebrews go, they are backed up against the Red Sea. Right? They have run away from Egypt, and Pharaoh, after he says, okay, you guys can go, he changes his mind. And he goes and he's, he's, striking, he's, uh, he's chasing them down. And as the people of Israel backed up against the Red Sea, God parts the waters and they walk across. All right, we see how God there again is working, working through nature. He's showing his power over nature. And then once the, once the Hebrews cross, the waters close and Pharaoh and his army are killed. So this is that, that, that ultimate defeat of the powers of, the powers of evil, the powers um, of the earth. Um, so just like what God is doing in the Exodus, just as God challenges uh, the religious views of the day or those false beliefs that we have. Um, there are many things we believe as believers in Jesus that run contrary to the American worldview. Like there are things that are accepted in society that we don't believe are God's design. I think of like pornography and divorce and sexual immorality that are, I think people would say those aren't 
the best things for you, but they're still accepted. And when we say no, that's, that's not part of God's design. And even there are other things that, that don't make any sense to the world that we do. Like I think of, here's an example recently that, that blew me away. Uh, Mike Pence, our vice president, um, who, I, who I understand to be a Christian, he said that he wouldn't eat dinner alone with a woman that wasn't his wife. And I remember hearing that and saying, yeah, okay, this makes sense. Uh, yeah, I completely understand. Uh, and the, the blowback against that was like so negative. Like when he said, he said, all right, I'm, it's just my rule he said he has, I don't eat dinner alone with a woman that isn't my wife. And people just blew up and said how horrible that was. And I mean, I tried to listen and understand, like, why? Like, why do you think that? And I, I can't even understand maybe some things about the business world that maybe makes sense, but there was no acknowledgement that, like, that's probably a good thing for Mike Pence's marriage. Like, there was no acknowledgement that um, he values his marriage in a good way. Um, so, so we put God's power on display by living countercultural lives, okay? Um, we have the ability to prove the truth of the gospel in our lives. Like, I, I imagine when the Pence, if the, the Pence has turned 100 years old, which with Mike's job, I don't know. He's got a lot of gray hair. I don't know if I'd say he's going <laughs> to... The stress of that job, who knows? But let's say the Pence has turned 100 years old. And, and Mike can say, hey, I never cheated on my wife. I'm still in love with her just as much as I was when I was, when I was married. Some of those people are going to have to say, all right, maybe I was wrong. Like, maybe I was wrong about this rule that Mike Pence had. Like, the truth lived out exposes false beliefs, all right? And like we see, I've seen that just time and time again with, with the way some believers deal with suffering and deal with pain, uh, like, uh, you know, cancer or financial issues. There are, there are ways that we can live out the hope and the truth uh, that we cling to. Um, we can live that out in front of a world that doesn't understand. Uh, truth exposes false beliefs. So I just pray as we go out of this, de- out, out, out of this place we can display God's power by being different. Like maybe someone in this room has worked at the same place for years and none of your coworkers or even know you're a Christian. Um, and like, I get that. Sometimes I just want to get into work or get into school or just hang out with some family and go under the radar. But that's not who we're called to be, all right? Because God is personal, he's powerful, but he's done it all for a purpose, okay? So, so what we see in, in all the plagues uh, is, this is what this is what God says. He says, let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go that they may serve me. Like, let them go because they have a job to do. And like, in your workplace or with your family, the people of God have a responsibility uh, to show off God's power in the world, to show that God's way is true and that God's way is better than the ways of the world. And and that's really my last point here, that, that God is purposeful. And we see this even more when we get to Exodus 19. So we're covering about half the book of Exodus today. So you'll need to go back and maybe read some of this for yourself. It's a, it is like the main book of the Old Testament. Every, there's so much that is grounded in, uh, in Exodus. It's incredibly important. So I encourage you to read that on your own. But Exodus 19, 3 through 6, um, the people are finally freed. They're finally in the wilderness to serve God. And this is when God makes his covenant with with the people of Israel. This is when he says, okay, you're free now. Here is how you're going to display my power. Here's how you're going to display me to the nations. And part of that is the people of Israel following the law um, and serving as a kingdom of priests. So let's see what this says. It's verse 3 through 6. While Moses went up to God, 
the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine. You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the words that you will speak to the people of Israel. So they are called to be the go-between for humans and God, a kingdom of priests, right? Humanity is going to know God because of his people. And that is still true today. That is still, that's why we're given the Great Commission, because humanity will know God only through his people. Um, so like I mentioned like before, like if, you're, we're, if we're not bold in our witness, if we are not bold in our witness before non-believers, um, then we're not doing one of the key things that God has called us to do. And this is why just at this church we take mission very seriously. Because this thread that starts in Exodus 19 runs throughout the entire scripture. And even so much so that way toward the end of the Bible, in 1 Peter, Peter quotes almost this exact same verse talking about the church. That church, now you are a royal priesthood. Now you are this holy nation. And, and if you aren't crazy about this idea, then you're in good company. My favorite quote from, from Moses, Jimbo mentioned this last week. I don't know if I ever like this ever sunk in with me. Moses just flat out says, God, please send someone else. I, I don't want to do this. Please send someone else. But God's, uh, God uses people for his purposes. That's the way that he does it. Like in, in, that, in that passage we looked at before, God says, I've seen your oppression. I've seen what you're going through. I, I feel your pain. And you've got to believe Moses was like, yes, 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 God, awesome. Until, Moses, until he says to Moses, now come, I'm going to send you. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to do this. And Moses was probably like, oh, hold up, let's think about this. Uh, see, God chooses to use people. This is the way that his kingdom is set up. So I think this is like a helpful image I've seen is just the, like the image of a chaplain. Like this is uh, like the, uh, how a chaplain operates like in the military or in a hospital. This is the way that we are to be operating in the places we go. So I'm hoping that like me as a teacher at Southside Middle School, I'm hoping that as I walk in, if I walk into school and there's a teacher like crying over here, that they'll say, hey, go get Mr. Garrett, because Mr. Garrett will take care of this. Like, I'm, like I, li- I just think that image of a chaplain is helpful, that um, wherever we're at, we're to be kind of this go-between. We, we should be the person that people go to as, as really like the spiritual authority, maybe. Um, chaplain, help. Uh, so now, so this covenant that's set up, this covenant that God makes with his people, uh, it actually doesn't go that great. In fact, before they leave Mount Sinai, the people have already blown it. Um, so this is why the prophets throughout the rest of the Old Testament, they, they'll say, hey, God is going to set up a new covenant. And this covenant, through this covenant, God is going to make everything right. So let's look at Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. And we're going to see how Jesus starts to factor into this this business of the covenant. So, Jeremiah 31. So this is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel 
After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So this is, this is the situation Jesus finds himself in. When, when, when Jesus comes on the scene, we have, we have this promise from Jeremiah that, hey, one day there's going to be a new covenant. And that God is, there is going to be even more intimacy between God and his people. Um, because the people have messed up in such a way. Uh, they couldn't follow the law. But he says, I'm going to put my law within you. So if we remember way back in the beginning of the sermon here, we talked about Hebrews 1. That long ago God spoke through the prophets. And he spoke um, in many ways. But now he's spoken through his son. And at the Passover meal, the meal where they go to celebrate every year. So they do this every year. They celebrate um, the deliverance they received from Egypt. They, they celebrate what God did in Exodus. They have this meal to Passover. Jesus stands up and says, uh, this cup, he says, the blood, or the cup, the wine that we're about to drink, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So he reinterprets the Exodus. He reinterprets the Passover around himself. And there's a really helpful quote here um, that says, Jesus chose Passover as the moment for action, the moment to awaken the biblical resonances which would frame his kingdom-bringing action and passion. So I, I love that, the, the, the biblical resonances. So he, cho- he chooses Passover. Every gospel account makes it a point to say, now remember, when, like around the time that Jesus is about to die, this is Passover. Jesus dies on Passover, and every gospel reminds us uh, because Jesus chose this time because he wanted us to remember um, that just in the same way that, that Egypt had the people of Israel enslaved, that Egypt had the people of God enslaved, we too are enslaved to sin. And we too have failed to hold up the covenant that God has made with his people. Um, but we have been set free in the same way that God has freed his people miraculously. We are set free from the penalty and power of sin. See, Jesus' death and resurrection is the new, the better Passover. That, that, that but now, God has revealed himself in Christ. This is like the but now Passover. God has shown that he is personal through the Passover and through the Exodus, but he also has shown that he is personal in Christ. That, that God doesn't just see our sin and see our oppression, but actually in Christ he enters into it. And he takes on that oppression and takes on the penalty of sin himself. And God uh, is powerful in the Exodus, but... <clears throat> but shows his power in a way in, in, in Christ in a special way. So let's look at uh, Colossians 2 real quick. Um, I, love, I love this verse. It says, And you, you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision out of your flesh. But God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So just like Pharaoh has this open shame, just like Pharaoh has this very public defeat in front of all of Israel and all of Egypt, this is what Christ does on the cross. That it appears that the powers of evil have won, and it appears that when Jesus dies, that um, yeah, that the power of evil has won. Because remember, this, this death that Jesus dies, there's also a spiritual aspect to it. Satan, Satan enters into Judas Iscariot when Judas betrays Jesus. Satan has thrown everything he can at Jesus. The, the powers of the world, Rome, has thrown everything they can at Jesus. But Jesus rose from the grave. All right, and Jesus' Jesus' death and then brings us forgiveness. He overcomes 
through his death. He shows us his power through rising from the grave. Right? There is this, this personal God, this powerful God. Um, and God, again, gives us a purpose. That we are no longer slaves to sin, but now we've been set free so that we can be um, his kingdom of priests in our, in our world, in our, uh, in our day-to-day lives. Um, so really the response today, um, if, you have, um, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you have not been set free from your sin, if you, have not, if you don't know that personal God, then this is the time when you can do it. Right? The Bible says repent and believe. That, we, that idea of believe is to put your full hope in the gospel. Put your full hope in Jesus. And for those of you who, who are believers, who have accepted um, the sacrifice of Christ and accepted just the love of Christ, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We're going we're gonna to do that, that Passover, that new, better Passover. We're going to do that together. Um, and as we do it, I want us to think about it through, in the way that uh, Jesus probably meant us to, in the way that the disciples thought about it, that they're celebrating Passover. But Jesus said, hey, this, uh, this cup is my new covenant. So we want to think about the freedom from sin that we have, how God looked upon our oppression and how he acted and how um, we can have a relationship with God through the body and blood. Um, and really just however, however God has spoken to you today, this is your time to react. Uh, maybe you haven't tapped into that personal nature. Maybe your prayer life is struggling. Or maybe you haven't been putting God's power on display in your life. Or you haven't been walking in the purpose that God has for you. Um, this is just your time to respond. Uh, we're going to have um, this John play at the piano, and we're going to pass out the elements. Um, I'm going to be down here. I think Jimbo will be too if you want to talk with either of us. Um, but this is our time when we, when we deal with God, when we deal with um, the truth that we've been exposed to and maybe how, uh, how that has exposed the, the falsehoods that we believe. Uh, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Uh, dear Lord, uh, I pray that as we have seen your truth from your word, that you would show us where, um, where we believe lies, where we have um, maybe acted in ways that, that don't identify or don't line up with your truth. Um, God, I pray that as we, as we take your Lord's Supper, that we would remember the sacrifice you made and the way that you have set us free from the power and the penalty of sin. Pray this in your name. Amen. Mm-hmm.